Welcome to Teaching Transformations, Designing Your Post-Career Life with Tim Desmond and Ryan Woolley. So how's it going? It's okay, man. Uh, you know, it's it's early 2021 and um, it's it's a sunny day in Cleveland. And, and hopefully that's like, you know, that's an omen, a good omen. Yeah. Boy, that sun makes a huge difference. Like, it does. Um, I... I had a couple of options for where to set up to record this today, and I picked the the one with a lot of windows. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's a good call for sure. Um, I just want to say I'm so excited to reconnect with you over this project. Um, you've always been one of my favorite people. I I really loved when we used to work together, and um, I'm glad we've been able to stay in touch. But um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I've already had fun just you know, talking to you over the past couple of weeks. Um, so, uh, likewise, man, uh, like I know we're going to, I know we're going to get into this a little bit, but like I, and I had this idea for a project, like you, you were the top of my list. Like I was like, if you weren't, if you were going to say no, then I would develop a list, but I didn't have one other than you. That's funny. I, I'm flattered. <laughs> Take it for what it's worth. You probably won't get many more compliments. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's probably useful for us to start with, um, just who we are. And, and I think, you know, we'll get into like what we think we're doing here. Um, but, um, who are you, man? Who am I? You know, that's a, that's a harder question than it seems on the surface for me <laughs> because I've been living sort of like a double life, uh, for the past 12 to 15 years. So, uh, I'm Tim Desmond, but I'm also Jay Thorne. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm an educator, but I'm I'm also an author and a publisher, and you know, we're gonna explore that a whole lot more. But uh, I'm a guy. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm a family man. I'm a parent. I'm a husband. I'm a music lover. I'm a reader. And now I'm starting to sound like Alanis Morissette. Uh, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> uh, funny. I a lot of those same things, only I don't have the dual identity thing that you have going on. We're definitely going to dig into that. That's uh, That's been an interesting, uh, really fun story to watch unfold. Um, yeah, I'm a technology director for a school. Um, I've been working in schools for a long time. Um, I used to be an English teacher. Before that, I was an English major. I think long ago, I thought I was going to be a writer and sort of like a writer, maybe writer slash lawyer, like a John Grisham style. But um, I ended up going into education. And, and so I've been working in the field now for, um, gosh, 20 some 23 years, I think. Um, my wife is a curriculum director at a, a public school. We met in our, our teaching program. Um, three kids. Um, like you, lots of, you know, love for music, lots of hobbies. Um, that's kind of my story. Gen Xer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we were colleagues for a long time and, uh, and, and I, you know, that's going to come out in the conversation too. I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned that yet. Yeah. Why don't we just go there? Um, how I'm trying to, I was looking at stuff last night to just try to put it on a timeline. Um, I know I started here. I still work at the school that you used to work at and, uh, I started here in 2008. So we, I'm sure we met soon after that. Um, 
I started a one-to-one program here and you, um, you were a sixth grade teacher at that time and a techie teacher. You were always, I saw this in some of our early messages. You were like asking me questions about why is the, why is class pages down and stuff like that. <laughs> that would be me. Yeah. So I think we, I think that's how we got to know each other is, you know, I was the tech director and, and you were a tech, very tech savvy uh, middle school teacher. We kind of connected there. And then you became an ally in that, uh, in that program we started, the one to one program. You were a really key sort of early influencer. And um, so I think after we became friends, it was a couple years later, I, I think this was like 2011 or something like that. We were moving that program into the upper school. And that's when I, I, I needed somebody like you up, up at the upper school. And I think I, I was, you were like the only person I thought of. I was, you were the first person I called and luckily you were interested. <laughs> yeah. I started at the school in 2004 and, uh, and I vaguely remember the interview process. I think I remember saying at the time, hire anyone but Wooly, but you know, uh, I didn't, wasn't carrying much clout then, so it, it, they, they went against my wishes, but yeah, I think we, I think we bonded pretty early on, uh, in, in the, in the late two thousands, um, because we, you know, we were and are in similar life stages. We kind of grew up in a, in the same part of the country. We kind of have the same values. Um, you know, I, I was a teacher for 23 years before I, uh, well, I don't know if I retired. That'll be another conversation. But before I left education, so yeah, I, I agree. Like you know, whenever you get into a workplace, I think um, you you have sort of colleagues, and then you have people who are more than colleagues, and and eventually become friends. And I think that's what happened with us. So uh, it was great to work sort of with you and under you, and 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 supporting you know what was happening in, in the upper school, and uh, and and we had several professional relationships over the years. Yep. Um, yeah, I was, I even dug up some, like, I, I found this early exchange uh, oh, no. soon, <laughs> soon after we started to work together. Uh, this is, uh, I'll just read it sort of back and forth. This is you. When are you leaving Ohio? Uh, noonish. I'm, I'm at Lindhurst right now. Okay. Uh, I'll wait until one o'clock to ransack your GM office. Okay. Uh, pee in the corner too. <laughs> You already did. I'd like an hour or so to get back, you know, to talk to you when you get back. Um, that was kind of the nature of our. <laughs> um, you know, th when I think about that time, it just takes me back to, you know, watching this journey unfold for you. And I, I think that's going to become a big part of what we do here is um, I think your story is one that that um, we, we need to, um, capture and tell, um, because it's a really interesting one and it, it can connect to, um, you know, uh, probably a lot of our, our listener stories, assuming we have listeners at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think too, like it's, it's also good to recognize that, uh, we, we're being very thoughtful about this podcast and about telling our stories, but, um, we're not scripting things, and and uh, and 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 part of this process is our process of starting this project together. That's that's a, a roundabout way of saying that that 
um, this is not going to be a highly produced uh, NPR style show. Like we're, you know, we're working through this organically and naturally. Uh, things are going to kind of change and evolve over time. And we're as much exploring this process as we are our past. Yeah. And we're not going to we're not going to pretty it up. We, we want people to see that and we want to bring them into this process, even as we make you know, pivots along the way. Yeah, because, you know, like in any good story, uh, you know, there are, there were and are down moments and there are things that, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that uh, aren't, aren't going to be pretty. So, yeah, I, I think that's it, it should go without saying, although not all not all podcasts uh, take that approach. So it's good that we're kind of uh, putting our stake around there around that that level of authenticity, meaning that like um, it's warts and all here. Yep. Well. That makes me feel better already. <laughs> um, so that's a good segue, um, actually. But why don't we back up um, and just sort of address, you know, what do we think we're doing here? What is, what is this? So this is, uh, well, I'll, I'll take... I'll take the the mantle for this because I I came to you with this idea, although you were having and are having very similar thoughts. But, uh, you know, as we record this, it's it's January of 2021, and we just finished one of the most incredible years we might ever experience in our lifetimes, in our generation. And at, even before the pandemic started, uh, I knew like I, I'm turning 50 this year, and I've never really given much thought to my age before. Uh, I, I don't know how you are with that, but like it's, I, I really started thinking more about it and I was like, wow, 50, like that, that's a, that's a different kind of milestone. And, and I started to think about like, okay, well, like technically I could start drawing on my retirement accounts at 59 and a half. Like that's, that's not even 10 years. And I think back like 2011 doesn't seem that long ago. Uh, and, and so I, I started getting into this this highly reflective, somewhat nostalgic, um, for lack of a better term, uh, mindset of like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And not not the question that you ask when you're 23, but when you're 50, and 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 you see that horizon, and you know you don't have 40 or 50 or 60 years ahead of you. And I, I was really starting to question like, what is it I want to do? What kind of impact do I want to have? And you know, I've uh, since 2017, I've I've been self-employed. I retired as a teacher and started my own business, and and I became this Jay Thorne character. Uh, and, and now I, you know, I, I'm I wanted to think about okay, well, where do I go next? Like, what kind of impact do I want to have next? And uh, I started thinking around this idea of, well, what's what's it mean to be retired when you're a Gen Xer or when you're um, a, a baby boomer, like retirement, it looks different now than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And there's a lot out there around how you get to retirement. There's a lot of financial advice um, that, that you can consume. There's the fire movement and, and there's, you know, there, there's a ton of information, but there's not a lot out there talking about what do you do when you get there? Like when you wake up and you're retired and you don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to do anything you know, sitting on a beach for a couple of weeks might be cool or, you know, watching TV for a month might be cool. But what do you do with the other 30 or 40 years you've got? Um, so I think that's that's kind of what this is. It's like trying to figure out, like, what is that going to look like for us and how can we help other people who are going to be in that same situation? Yeah. 
Um, I, we've talked about this. I, I don't, you know, that the word retirement just, I don't know why, but it just, it bothers me. It like, it conjures images of me, like taking my walker out to the mailbox, um, in a bathrobe. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, and we've, we've talked about that, you know, post career life. I, I think there are different ways of thinking about, about this. Um, I think we're using the term retirement because it's, it's what people understand, but I think that we're really looking at many different flavors of what that means. Um, like, you, you know, we've already started to scratch the surface on your flavor. Um, how old were you when you retired from teaching? Yeah, I guess I'm in unretirement, as Brian Clark uh, would say, which I, I just discovered he's kind of coining that term. Uh, Brian Clark from Copyblogger and, and uh, a fellow Gen Xer and, and um, sort of one of the one of the first guys who um, was early on in blogging. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't like the term retirement. I don't, unretirement is a mouthful, uh, but like we don't have anything better yet. So uh, you and I are going to be kind of figuring that out as we go. I mean, we talked about post-career and other, other terms for it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I technically in 2017, I did not renew my contract at the school, uh, which meant I was technically retired from teaching at, and that would have been at age 46. And uh, so here we are, um, coming up on four years later, and I have uh, a stable, substantial author business that supports my family and my mortgage. And I have one kid heading to college, and and the other one three years from now, and uh, and and making a living doing it. And and I think you know, for me, the idea of retirement isn't doing anything. It's more about the freedom to do what I want, when I want, and how I want to do it. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't know what the term is. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of there. It's kind of weird. And like, I'm, I've dealt with and, and deal with some of the same issues that uh, traditional retirees face. And, and like, you know, you lose a, um, a social network, you lose friends, uh, contact with friends, you, you lose the collegiality that you have in a workplace. I lost all that, even though I was only 46. Right. Yeah, I, I and I remember you talking about a lot of that. It's it's funny, like I didn't, I never thought it. I I still don't think of you as retired. I just I thought you just transitioned your career, but you know, and I don't want to get too caught up on on sort of you know this term or the definition, but it was just more. I, I just wanted to try to unpack, you know, my own conceptions about this stuff, and um, and I think you represent you know a non conventional sort of timeline and an approach. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, and I, I think we've seen everything from that to, you know, people who retire very conventionally, you know, do put in a full, we, we're friends with a lot of people that we've seen who were just a, a little further along than us who, you know, put in a full career in teaching and then, um, you know, put away their chalk and, and now they're retired. Um, uh, it's funny you say, you talk about the loneliness and stuff. I, I don't think I'm great at keeping in touch with, I mean, I had some pretty close colleagues that, that retired and, and I'm just not the best at keeping in touch with them, but I, I, I would love to go back and ask some of them, you know, like, what are you up to? What does it feel like? Yeah. All those. Yeah. Um, well, let's, 
I, I want to dig into your story a little bit more. Um, it's, it's, it, like I said, it's been, it's been fun to watch. Um, it's been surprising uh, to watch. I, I never expected you to leave your teaching position four years ago. Um, Me and neither. How, <laughs> and I mean, how you got there, um, it's, I, I guess I, you know, I, I watched it happen, but I don't know that I fully understood sort of where it came from and, and how much of it was pre-planned versus just um, sort of figuring it out as you went. Um, so, um, you know, why don't we dive into that a little bit? I'm, I'm like, what drove you to establish your independence? Um, and did you know early on that that was a goal you had? Uh, I wish I could say I did, that I had some master plan. Uh, I think I was being very reactionary. Uh, you know, I, I just, um, I, I'm sort of doing a lot of, of research and reading around um, our generation or, and, and people who are retiring now. And there are a lot of studies that suggest that the happiness curve hits a valley in your 40s and it starts to come back up in your 50s. And that people, as they age, they are technically more happy. Um, and there are, there are various reasons why that's the case and, and theories as, as to why that's the case. But I think I hit the trough. I, I think I hit that low valley in, in my early to mid 40s where um, you know I looked up at one point and I kind of had that thought like, is this all there is? And, and it sounds like such a privileged position to be in to be able to say that like I recognize there are a lot of people who who struggle to just survive every day and here I was in a position where I had a great stable job at a great school making decent money you know owning a house in a good neighborhood and there's a sense of guilt I had of like who am I to like scoff at that like who am I to ask is this all there is and so I internally I wrestled with this this feeling of like being grateful for what I had and at the same time recognizing that I wasn't, I wasn't manifesting my best self. Like I just felt like I, I had more to give. And so I think what happened was I, uh, right around in the late 2000s and, you know, we're both tech guys, so, uh, this is not surprising. I was sort of watching what was happening with Amazon, specifically Amazon and Kindle. And I was really intrigued by this ebook concept. And I, I was uh, early on, I was sort of a fan of this. I thought, wow, it would be great if I could have a device that looked like a book, but I could fit hundreds or thousands of books in it and just and just read that. Like to me, that sounded like a dream as, as a reader. And and so early on in that, uh, as I was consuming it as a reader, uh, I started getting these thoughts like well, why couldn't you try this? You know, like, cause I was reading parallel articles of people who said like, oh yeah, they're opening up this thing called Kindle, Kindle direct publishing. And you don't need an agent and you don't need a publisher. Like you can upload a word document and you can sell it directly on the Amazon marketplace. And in 2008, 2009, that was world shaking. I mean, I, we take it for granted now, but like the ability to be an artist and reach your, your, a global audience directly was a paradigm shift that I had never felt in my life. And so I, I know I'm being a little esoteric about the answer as opposed to practical, but I kind of just, I had this feeling like, well, why not me? Like, why not, why not try this? Like, what's the worst that could happen? 
And uh, at the time, I was I was playing in um, a rock band, and uh, I'd been in bands my whole life as a musician. And in the band, we decided that our real names weren't cool enough, so we came up with these stage names. And and my stage name was Jay Thorne, and I took the J was my middle initial, and Thorne was one of my favorite songs of one of my favorite bands. So I thought, okay, Jay Thorne sounds like that sounds like a frontman for a heavy metal band, like. Tim Desmond does not, right? And and it's all the band all, all the guys in the band came up with with these stage names. And um and so it sort of naturally bled over. Now it's like, okay, well, if I use a pseudonym and I fail miserably, no one's going to know. Uh so why not try it? And I think that was that was the that was the real genesis. I I didn't have a master plan. I wasn't like I didn't have a 10-year plan. I didn't have a 10-minute plan. I was just like I'm going to try this. Uh, you know, as a teacher, I have the benefit of having uh, some time on weekends, some time in the summer, depending on how I, you know, manage my other responsibilities. I, I had the bandwidth to try it. And uh, and so I was like, why not me? Wow. That's hilarious. You Basically, you just poked at this. You're like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to try this. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was, it was a pretty big poke because I, I can remember in, I think it was... I think it was 2000, it was either 2008 or 2009 is when I started drafting my first novel. I, uh, I read Stephen King's on writing and I was like, all right, I'll rub my hands together. I'm all set. What else do I need? I've, I had it all figured out. So I sat down and, uh, and I wrote like 135,000 word epic fantasy that was God awful. It was so terrible, but I thought it was like, I thought I was doing it, you know? And it, and it took me like, it took me 10 months so it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like okay, I'm gonna set up my KDP account and that's me poking at it. Like I I did it, but I didn't have any clue as as to what I was doing. And and even several years later, uh, I still didn't have like in 2012, which you know we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, and and even in 2014, when you came to see me speak, I kind of told my horror story of starting out. But yeah, I, I didn't have a clue. And um and and I had I think like you, I'm I'm a bit of a um a dilettante and that I like to dabble in things and I like to experiment. And, you know, I experimented with, with music and I experimented with entrepreneurship and I experimented with, um, a, a number of other things, but it was this writing thing for some reason that I, it was something, it was something nagging at me in my, in my brain that I couldn't let go. And I think that's, it was that sort of chasing that. Like I remember reading Lord of the Rings, which was the movies that come out in, in the, mid mid early to mid 2000s and i remember <laughs> like an idiot reading tolkien going yeah i could do better than this <laughs> and i think every every author has to have that like you have to have that sort of mix of of ignorance and ego to go like yeah i could i could do this i could i could write something better than this cuz otherwise you'd never get off the starting block um so yeah i poked at it but i poked at it for a good while yeah wow i that's interesting. I don't think I knew that backstory. I, I, I think I just, especially given sort of how quickly you became prolific, I, I think I just assumed like this had been sort of just a nagging uh, urge that you've had for a long time to go into writing and, you know, and then the floodgates opened and it had all just happened. But I mean, it, I know it didn't all just happen. It, it took a long time to grow that. But I think about, I mean, you know, how many years ago was that now? Um, 12. Yeah. 12 years ago ish. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many you've, 
published a ton of books um, and you kind of got going pretty quickly with that. Um, how, tell us a little bit about like how many, you know, where you are in your publishing career right now. Yeah. I, I've heard uh, my wife and other women describe uh, childbirth in that if, if the memories were strong enough that no one would ever have a second child <laughs> because like there, there's sort of this selective amnesia that happens with women where they, uh, you know, they give birth and that physical, the physical sensation and pain is a, is a memory they forget. Otherwise they wouldn't do it again. And I, and I, I think for, for me and for writing, it's the same way. Like I think every time I finish um, a book or a novel and I publish it, I forget what it took to get there. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, it's hard to quantify because, um, you know, the publishing landscape has, has shifted dramatically since 2009. If you're a reader, you might not have the same sense of it as, as you're an author, but the ability to self-publish on Amazon radically changed the game. And one of the, in one of the ways it changed it is it changed the definition of what we call a book. It's, start, it's starting or it's well on to the, uh, onto the path of distorting the medium. And, and so when people talk about a book now, a book could be a 20,000-word uh, document or it could be a 150,000-word novel. And so people just call book, right? So it's hard to define, you know, what, what a book is, but something objective that I, I, I like to use is word count because that's something that's measurable no matter how those words are are uh, dispensed. Um, I'm, I'm ballparking it. I, I've published about um, over 2 million words of fiction. Um, you know, if you look at my Amazon page, there's a couple dozen titles, but again, some of those are short, some of those are long. I have about a half a million words that I published and then unpublished because they were so terrible. Uh, and, and there was a point, uh, I'm not, I'm not at this pace now. I don't think this is a, it's not a sustainable pace. At least it wasn't for me, but I was at a pace in the, you know, the early 2010s where I was publishing three and four novels a year. Uh, so that, that would be, you know, a quarter million words of fiction a year. Um, and so, yeah, once, once I kind of, once that writing bug got into me, it, it was sort of became a compulsion. Um, and, uh, and so that's that's where a lot of that productivity came from. Um, and I think that's a uh, that that's a natural trajectory for a lot of novelists in that you kind of start out writing a ton, and then the more you get into it, the the less words you produce. But I think they're better quality words. Mm -hmm. And but I mean, you still had your full time job when you started all this. Yeah. But how did how did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I had, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in 2009, my kids were six and three. Uh, and so finding like, you know, finding the, t like they're teenagers now. Um, uh, so they don't even care if I'm in the building or not, but like at that, you know, in six and three, you know, like they're, 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 there's demands. There are, there are requirements that you, the kids have. And, uh, for years, I would get up an hour before I had to, and that hour was when I did my writing. And uh, you know, it fluctuated. Sometimes I would get up at four thirty. Sometimes I would get up at five. But the idea was, I gave myself an hour of uninterrupted time uh, to get my words in before my day job started, my teaching started, before kids were, you know, asking for milk in their cereal and asking me to tie their shoe, um, and. Uh, 
it's it's not easy. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy, but like that's what it took. So there were years, uh, literally years of me getting up an hour, uh, an hour before everyone else just to get those words in. I remember you using the word side hustle and, um, you know, that's definitely what it, what it looked like from my vantage point. I mean, cause I, you know, we were talking about your, your writing and sort of how much you were doing. I'm like, gosh, is he even, is he even doing work while he's here? Cause how is he getting all this done? But I mean, some of that just ties to your work ethic and you, you know, I, you're a person who, um, I, always admired your ability to just make things habit and really stick with things. And, um, I, I know that's, that's a big part of, of why you were able to be so productive, uh, so early on. Well, and, and two, the, the other part of that was, man, I was having a blast. I was, it was so much fun. Like, and I think that like, that's not, an, that's not in our, in the, in the general zeitgeist enough, like this idea of, are you having fun? <laughs> and and I, I think in, in my early to mid forties, I lost that. Like I, whether it was the burden of responsibility or, uh, uh being, you know, the primary wage earner for my family, uh, or the responsibilities of, of being in a teaching position or other factors, like there were things I was, I was doing, I was good at, but I just wasn't having fun. And for me, like, it sounds crazy to get up at 5 AM because, and sit and, and do something that most people consider a punishment. <laughs> like most people consider writing a punishment, like, you know, um, whether it's in school or at home, it's like, Oh my gosh, don't make me write words. Yet for me, like I would, I couldn't wait to get up and get to the next scene. And, and I think that, um, I would like to say I'm, you know, I'm so disciplined and I've developed these habits, but, just like the, like being in a band, like I would sacrifice a few hours of sleep once a week for band practice. Uh, it wasn't easy, but man, it was fun, right? Like there, there were, there were moments where, uh, you know, it was, we're here in Cleveland at this time of year, it's dark at five, it's 10 below zero. I got to load all of my amps up into the car. Like that all sucked. I just wanted to stay on the couch, but man, once I got to band practice, was so much fun. And that's what kept me going for, for week after week. So I think there's an element of really enjoying what you're doing that, that gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. And I, that's something we're going to have to dig into a lot. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to be just about sort of process and it's not, this isn't a how to, right. This is, uh, th this is going to be about sort of discovery and rediscovery. Cause that's what a lot of people do. I think when they, you know, make, make these kinds of transitions in life. Um, they figure out who they are or who they, you know, they can be sort of who they've been waiting to be almost. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, we're hopefully going to be aspirational here. And I think one of the, one of the real top level object objectives I have with doing this podcast and working on this project with you is that you don't need to, and you shouldn't wait until you get your your gold watch or your placard when you retire to be thinking about this stuff. Like it, whether you're, whether you're 30, 40 or 60, you can be thinking about these things. You can be thinking about the, the, the hobbies or the pastimes or the experiences you've had that were so much fun or that you really enjoyed and thinking about what those might look like post career. And, and, and like, so that's what we're talking about now. Like I accelerated that. I moved that way up. Um, because I was too stupid to know any better, uh, you know, and I did that at 46. 
you don't have to do it at 46, but you can start thinking about it. You can start planting those seeds. And hopefully that's something we can help a lot of people with. Yeah. I mean, you know, in many ways, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, I, I, I'm still in my full-time job and as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm still going to be in it for a, a, a while longer. Um, but I'm starting to think about it like you, you know, I'm, uh, approaching 50. I am a year younger than you. I just need to make sure we're clear on that. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to make that clear. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, of course I've been thinking about this stuff. I mean, my oldest is in college. Uh, he's in the middle of his freshman year. My youngest is a freshman in high school and he's taller than me. I'm like, you know, I'm looking, I mean, four years down the road, uh, my youngest is going to be in college and I won't be driving all over the place. I mean, that's going to change probably in the next year or so. So if nothing else, I'm just going to have found time. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I want to make the most of that. I want, I want to, I want to be purposeful about designing that, that time and, and figuring out, you know, like just hearing you talk about the writing, like, you know, it lights you up. I want to make sure that I'm sort of structuring my life in a way that I can do more of what lights me up. Yeah, I think that's, that's key. And, uh, and, and it's okay too, that that changes over time. And I think that's something else I want to be really conscious about when we, because I'm, you know, I'm 11 or 12 years into this already, even though, you know, I, I didn't leave my job until 2017. I started this many, many years earlier. And, uh, and I think what lights me up now is not the same thing that lit me up in 2009. And, th and that's okay. You know, like I, I, I think the, the important thing is to be thinking about what, what are you going to do when those external forces are no longer in play? So whether you whether that is your boss, your job, your clients, um, your physical location, like when, when those when those are released, what are you gonna do? And and that's what I, I can't wait to explore. And and I know that like you're not you're not there, you're not where I am yet, but I'm not where I am yet. Like I, I you know, I'm looking ahead at at uh, you know, the next ten years, the next fifteen years, and I'm thinking about what do I want to be doing 10 years from now? It's probably not going to be exactly what I'm doing now. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I think there's, there's just so many different pathways. Um, there's, there's going to be so many different stories that we bring into this. Uh, everybody's going to have their own reality. Um, you know, I look at your path as a, as a really interesting one. It's not one that I think I could have done, even if I sort of had the, conscious will to try it. It's just, it wouldn't have fit into my life pattern. Right. I right. just, and, but I've admired it and I, I think it's interesting and it's a good point of reference. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I guess I hope that's something that we're able to do here is to give people a, a variety of points of reference like that. Like here's, here's what one path could look like. It could be pretty aggressive and it could, you know, if you're sort of here, maybe this leads you to a post-career life sooner than you thought you might get there. There are ways to do that, right? But there are, there are also ways to um, sort of happily continue on the path that you're on, but sort of be ready to make the most out of your, you know, your post-conventional career life. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, we'll, we'll get into the specifics of this, but in, in 2017, when I decided not to return to the classroom, I had uh, 
two monthly paychecks that were would come my way because I opted for my 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 salary disbursement to come over 12 months. So I had two paychecks I knew were coming, and um, nothing after that. And I had uh, <laughs> I was at that time I was making about $300 a month from book royalties. So I I, I joke all the time and I'm like. I would never, ever give that advice to anybody. But like, but on the other side of that, I had this desperation of like, okay, well, this is do or die. Like, I, th- there's no safety net here. I'm either going to make this happen or I'm not. And, and, uh, and, and, and there was sort of no, there was no buffer there. So I think what I want people to, to hopefully take from my story and something we can help you and everyone else do is to find that, to, to find that trajectory that best suits you, your level of risk, your level of, of interest, your timetable. Like you don't have to quit your nine to five job to, to start thinking about what you want to do post-career. You can start planting those seeds. You can start doing things decades prior that will put you in a really good position once you get to the moment where you're going to have to make some hard decisions. Right. Yeah, I I, I mean... You know, I, I can't imagine making that move um, that you made. That was that was a bold move. That would be scary. Some say it's bold. Some say stupid. But I think both work. <laughs> I, I mean, it's worked out. And I, I, there's something to be said for going all in. And, you know, so, I mean, that's that's the thing that's really, uh, for me, inspirational about your story is, you know, you uh, you sort of like cut away your safety nets. <laughs> you were You were like... I'm going to force myself to make this happen. And, and you did that. And, um, and I, I just, I, I still, I'm sort of astounded that you pulled that off, but. Well, thanks man. And uh, you know, the payoff for that is that I retired from teaching at 46. That th- that's the payoff, right? So if, if you're, if you're thinking about, you know, your what's coming after your career, you don't have to make that sort of drastic decision. If you already know you're good for, you're good until you're 55 or you're good until you're 65, then like that's not one of the variables you have to consider. So uh, even though th- the risk was great, but but so was the payoff. And that's that's true with any decision we make in life, right? The greater the risk, usually the greater the payoff. And uh, and I also don't want to, I also don't want to get caught in resulting. So um, I love Annie Duke. She wrote uh, a great book around, she's a, a professional poker player. And she wrote this great book around decision-making process. And what she says is that poker players get into trouble when they start resulting. And what that means is you look at the results of a decision and you base the, your decision on the results. And that, and you, when you hear that, you go, well, yeah, isn't that how it should be? And it's like, no, it's completely wrong. Like, cause my, my story is a perfect example. I, I made a terrible decision, but the results paid off. But that was not the good. That was not the decision to make, right? Like the 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 best decision would have been to have a year of savings, or to have investments that I could live on, or to have rental properties that could fill a gap. Like then making that decision would have been a good decision. So I I made a terrible decision, and I and I got lucky and it paid off. But that doesn't make it a good decision. Um. I'm just processing that. <laughs> I think I do that a lot. I mean, I, I really do kind of measure decisions based on the results, but you know who, like the results sometimes are completely accidental. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, there are some things that are in your control, but there are many things that aren't like, 
you know, there's a certain, like, here's an example. In, in my story, I happened to meet the right person at the right time who gave me advice on a book cover. And that single conversation led to me getting 34,000 downloads on a book promo, which then led to me kicking off my, my publishing careers in indie. But I, I didn't plan, I didn't make a decision to meet that person. I didn't, I didn't intentionally arrange that conversation. So yeah, it's resulting is dangerous. It's what we naturally do. It's the wrong way to look at, at, at it's the wrong way to analyze your decisions because there are just so many things that are not, not in your control. Right. But I mean, the other side of that is intentionality, right? Like you, you actually, you know, you did, you put your, you actively put yourself in a position to sort of have conversations like that. Um, and that's kind of the other side of it too. It's not, this isn't, this wasn't accidental. You didn't fall into anything. You, you created your opportunity. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the old Ben, I think it's the Ben Franklin quote, right? Like, you know, you, or is it Henry Ford? You, you, know, you don't, you create your own luck. You put yourself in, in a situation where, uh, where things are in your favor. So it wasn't, when I, when I say it was a bad decision, I don't mean it was a rash decision. Um, I just meant like, if I were to do the traditional pros and cons list, <laughs> I think the cons on that decision would have heavily outweighed the pros. And if I, if I went strictly from a logical standpoint, I never should have made that decision. But it doesn't mean I wasn't thoughtful about it or I wasn't thinking through some things. It was just I was willing to take a risk. And, and uh, the decision itself was a bad decision, but the risk paid off. Right. Just talking about luck, it's reminding me of my favorite quote about luck. Uh, Gary Player, have you ever heard his quote about no I, mean, I think i have but what is it the pro golfer and he said golf is a game of luck the more i practice the luckier i get yes yeah I, and i think that i think that's a riff on on like i said ben franklin or, or ford or someone yeah that, i mean that that's that's totally true right so it, yeah it, it, there it's it's tricky right it, it, because you come to those decisions in life and you have to recognize that there's an element of luck circumstance fate higher power, like whatever label you want to use, there is some element that, uh, that is completely unknown and you can't possibly know it. Like you can study a decision for years and make it and have a consequence that you couldn't have possibly intended. Right. It's oh, a lot to think about. <laughs> That's why we're here, right? I mean, this is our wheelhouse. We, we are two meta nerds, man. You and I like to talk about the big ideas and uh, life's quandaries. And it's all like, uh, you know, the, the format of this uh, selfishly is going to be a blast. Yeah. Well, there is so many things I want to jump into. And I think the I think what I'm wrestling with is, you know, we can only do so much in one episode and and we have lots of time, hopefully, to sort of, you know, dig deep into uh, all these different areas that I know we're going to want to jump into. Um, what do you want to, I mean, how do you want to wind up this episode here? I feel I feel like, you know, we, we wanted to sort of dig in, uh, figure out what this was, talk a little bit about our histories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think this is setting the table. Uh, you know, I, the, the conversation is maybe the next logical place to go is to really drill down on, on that moment in, uh, you know, 2017 when I, when I went to the headmaster and said, um, Hey, guess what I'm not doing next year. 
<laughs> I'm not teaching for you. Like, because uh, we've sort of touched on that. And, and I think it might be more interesting um, to really go in, into depth uh, because it's, that was only four years ago and in a very vivid memory. And maybe, maybe kind of dig into that, how those events played out, where I was in my career. Because the other thing we haven't talked about, um, and, I, and I think you can, you, can, you can back me up on this, the position I left is a highly, was a highly coveted position as far as in the, in the world of education goes. Like I had probably the best teaching gig you could ever get. <laughs> uh, and like, I think about some of the situations that people teach in and the one I walked away from. And again, it doesn't make any sense on paper. So, so maybe that's a bit of a cliffhanger. Like what, what was this guy doing that, that was so good that, that he walked away from it? Oh yeah. We're, we are going to dig into every part of that. Uh, <laughs> There is a lot there. I, I, I mean, like I said earlier, I was uh, proud of you uh, in a way, just because I, I, I you know, you were, have been a friend, and I've been watching the story unfold. But, but also, like, I was like, wow, that's a that's a bold move. I was a little nervous for you too. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to dig into, you know, sort of how you got to that moment, what it felt like. Um, and we'll, that's going to be a big Pandora's box. We'll save all that for next time. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet that I think might be a, put a nice bow on this conversation is other than my wife, nobody has seen this, but you like, I, I've had friends that have come in that I've met a few years ago. I have friends who I, um, was friends with before I started this, but other than my wife, you're the only other friend I have who has seen it from the very beginning to where it is now. And uh, so I think you're going to be pretty good at, at, at pulling out some of those, like, what the hell were you thinking questions? Because <laughs> no one else even knows about them. Well, there, there's that. And I, you know, there are times I feel like I know the story, but then I, I learn, I learn new things. I mean, even just earlier, you know, hearing you talk about sort of how, like, I, I just always assumed you had this driving sort of urge to be a writer and, and it, you know, it seems like that happened much later than I, than I knew. And that, I just, that's just an interesting detail. I mean, you know, so I look forward to discovering things that I, I just didn't know about your story, even though I watched it, the whole thing from beginning to end. I was, I was much more interested in becoming a rock star than an author. Well, I still think we should start a band. But. <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that'll do it for today. I, I, I again, I, I love digging into this stuff with you. Uh, it's so great to reconnect. Um, I look forward to getting into all the nitty gritty details of this story with you. Um, but next time we're going to, we're going to go back to that jumping off point. We're going to, um, we're going to get the, the whole inside story on that. Thanks for listening. Go to teachingtransformations.com and get instant access to Transformations, the free weekly email with the best personally curated resources to help those in their late 40s or 50s to design a post-career life.